Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. You know, it's amazing to think we did this show for 130-some-odd episodes, and I couldn't see your beautiful face. And now, every <laughs> Monday morning, whether you like it or not, you got to look oh, at man. my mug. It is Monday, December 4th. 2017 happy birthday max holloway it's episode 134 of the anik and florian podcast so it's good to see you kid uh so you've been did you go so you went boston for thanksgiving then you go back to la and then now back east to south carolina for for the baby shower do i have that right yes dude yeah baby shower i'm i'm swimming in baby clothes right now it's crazy was your mom down in south carolina for this no she wasn't able to make it so we kind of did like a little mini Baby shower in Boston while I was there for Thanksgiving. Did okay. another one, and no one cares. Well, no, because my inner monologue is, I mean, what the fuck's this kid flying back east for a goddamn baby shower? <laughs> you know? But I like, my, I did not. I actually, I, I did not go. But no, it's your first kid. I understand, and a yeah. uh, good opportunity to uh, to see everyone. So enough about yeah. that. But I called you this morning because part of the reason we we started this podcast was that if if Francis Ngannou did what he did Saturday night we instead of just texting or that that we could talk about this in a more public forum or have an outlet to talk about what Francis Ngannou and so many other fighters did over the weekend so most of today of course is going to be a UFC 218 recap we we will talk to uh 2008 Olympic gold medalist Henry Cejudo after his big win over Sergio Pettis. Some interesting things going on there. Crowd giving him a hard time. A uh, lot of layers to that. So we are going to uh, we're going to talk to Henry. We'll also get you some Ken Flo picks on uh, UFC Fresno coming up this weekend. And uh, we'll get to Ray Longo. A lot, a lot of stuff to get to, and uh, we're not going to waste any more time. So, uh, Ben, if you would, let's give me some headlines. Headlines. It's time for headlines. I have some very urgent and important breaking news headlines on the john Anik and kenny florian podcast all right can't wait to let it rip today Flo. what do you think we're leading with is the question you think we're leading with max holloway today or do you think we're leading with uh with the predator francis and i would say probably in 
I'm still scared. I'm still frightened by that knockout, which is good because now you can see me when he did the knockout. I was like, oh, 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 oh dude. I, uh, dude, yeah. I thought he was dead. I, I, honestly, that was one of the scariest moments watching mixed martial arts was when Bob Sapp slammed uh, Big Nog on his head with like a, right. a pile driver and then right. that uppercut from Fred Singano. So I think I texted you, and I'm not saying this to be funny. Uh, Francis is gonna is gonna kill someone, Ken. Dude. You know, like I, I'm telling you, one of those follow up shots is gonna kill somebody. You yeah. know, um, what what an absolute freak. And I'm glad I can just bounce stuff off of you here for free today because I have so many questions, and I don't know how best to put the the actual knockout in historical context. If you want to tell me it's the greatest knockout in UFC heavyweight history or UFC history. As a whole, I'm not going to argue with you. Joe Rogan says this is the scariest fighter he has ever seen, and I think if there's an authority on this, it's Joe, who has been octagon side for every great heavyweight fight really in UFC history and all the big ones. This guy is a total freak, and it's, it's the work ethic, it's the natural gifts, it's the hunger, not just the financial hunger, but the hunger for his dream. I think this guy's going to affect major change in Cameroon, potentially when it comes to MMA legalization in, Fran in France, and big picture when it comes to this heavyweight division. I mean, imagine you're Stipe Miocic's wife watching that this weekend. I don't think it's, uh, it's settling to see Francis do that to another human being. Well, you know, any time two heavyweights get in the octagon, it, it's dangerous, right? I mean, these are guys that can hit extremely hard. They got four-ounce gloves on. When you get a guy like Francis Ngannou, who is essentially looks like an elite offensive lineman uh, in the NFL uh, and a guy who knows how to punch now, but what was most impressive was the reaction time. To see that Alistair Overeem was ducking, not only ducking down, but also kind of dipping to the left, and the accuracy of that uppercut was unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's hard to see um, some of the lightweight fighters do that and recognize that and be able to react right. just like that, and, and Francis was able to do that. And, man, uh, th that guy is scary. He has power that is absolutely insane. And some people are like, well, you know, Overeem, he doesn't have the best chin. I don't care if that was a rhinoceros running at 100 miles an hour. If Francis right. connected, right. he was going to knock right. out whatever was, what was in front of him. Um, yeah. So just an absolute freak. And the fact that, you know, he really didn't succumb to the pressure here. Um, going against Alistair oh, Overeem, a guy who who has fought so many elite strikers. Um, now, I, I don't think it was the smartest game plan from Overeem. I thought he was going to fight him like he fought Junior Dos Santos. Use your kicks. Keep him on the outside. Use your yeah. range. Don't be in boxing range against a beast like that. That's the one way you were going to lose that fight. But I, I just don't think he could help it. Um, and God was pressuring him. Um, you know, I, I think it kind of freaked Overeem out a little bit that he wasn't able to take him down very easily. I think he felt the strength of Ngano and just kind and of clinch, said, yeah, wow, too. this guy is freakishly strong. So how do you quantify how powerful Francis Ngano is compared to Stipe Miocic, for example? Well, I think Miocic, um, he puts together more combinations like a Frankie Edgar. He takes you out with more volume. Can he knock you out with one shot? Sure, absolutely, if it's yeah. precise and all that stuff. And Ganu has that kind of power that Dan Henderson had, where it doesn't have to be so accurate. He hits so damn hard, it doesn't matter what he hits, he's going to break something. Um, it doesn't have to be so perfect. However, Ngannou is pretty precise with his shots as well. Um, yeah. His reaction time is very good. He knows where he needs to hit. He's recognizing where the fighter is moving. Uh, he's not just swinging wild. Sometimes he does swing wild. But in this yeah. case, in this particular knockout against Overeem, 
um, he knew exactly what he was doing uh, and landed with uh, an accuracy that you really don't see too much from a guy that big. So, um, again, obviously we knew about the stats. We knew about his test heading into this, about him being the hardest-hitting guy uh, in the UFC and maybe in the world. Um, And and he absolutely proved it, man. And it doesn't take a whole lot with four-ounce gloves. And the fact that he's able to hit someone full power with that glove is a very scary thought. Francis Ngannou's pro debut was four years and a few days ago, Kenny. And there is footage out there of his only professional loss. He went the distance with a heavyweight who's now 13-2 and and a guy who probably will find his way to the UFC at some point in time. His name is escaping me right now. But this is a guy who was homeless on the streets of Paris five or six years ago. And I think he brings this meanness with him as well that helps, right? And and big picture on this night, there were so many fighters that are just totally unfazed by the pressure and the stakes and everything that accompanies trying to perform as a professional athlete when you're trying to break someone physically and not just put a ball in a hole. But what this guy is able to do uh, as, a, as a fighter who's just getting started. I mean, this was the number one heavyweight contender in his 60th pro MMA fight that he just did this to. And we, we brought up something on the broadcast. Only three fighters in the modern era have started their UFC careers 6-0 and with six finishes. Rich Franklin, Anderson Silva, Ronda Rousey. Now Francis Ngannou is in that class. And, and of course, Franklin and Silva, it was a little bit of a different era for Ronda Rousey. She was fighting a lot of developing fighters at that point in time. Kenny, no heavyweight has ever done this. And this division is defined by quick fights and finishes. I know we all bemoan the fights that do go 15 minutes with the heavyweights because oftentimes they're not always that entertaining. But no heavyweight has ever done what he is doing. And I am I am just totally frightened by this guy to see the reaction from other fighters out there on social media with Derek Brunson and everybody else. Stipe seems unfazed, but... I've got to think that uh, that when this fight happens, Kenny Stipe is going to be the betting underdog to uh, to defend his heavyweight title. Am I crazy? Uh, I'm telling you, man, uh, this is a very scary fighter, a guy who really was probably born to do this. Um, you look at his physicality. Uh, you look at the fact that his father was actually known as a legendary street fighter uh, yeah. in Cameroon, and here he is kind of uh, doing it professionally in a cage now. Uh, it, it, it's unbelievable uh, the kind of power that he possesses and the fact that, like you said, in the heavyweight uh, division, the margin of, for error is so small. It, it, you zig when you should have zagged. Right. Um, you, you, you're standing up with these guys with four-ounce gloves. Anything can happen. And the fact that he's landing first and doing it consistently and not really having much of a challenge in the UFC after only four and a half years of, of fighting professionally it, it is unbelievable. You just don't see it very often. Um you know, uh, for the heavyweights, if we're going to put it into perspective, a lot of these guys don't have these multifaceted games at heavyweight. You see it in the lightweight classes. Um, so I, I think this is what has allowed Francis Ngannou to really flourish in this division. Um, but still, I, I mean, it, it's still amazing what he's able to do. Um, he's a guy that uh, really learns very well. He's, he's working very hard. So it's not just... Um, you know, this talent, he, he's working on it. He's working on all these skills. He's working with right. very good guys in Vegas now. And the fact that he was doing it over in France with not a whole lot of training and now coming to Las Vegas, having access to all these uh, great minds around him, um, he's only going to get better. So I think the time to beat Francis Ngannou was probably a couple years ago. Uh, yeah. Now uh, it, it's an uphill climb for sure, man. And I know you've said at times he's still a little bit stiff. I do think he has a penchant yeah. to get wild. And I think at some point, Kenny, Someone's going to hit him very hard, and 
at least from what I've seen, I have a hard time thinking the chin is not going to hold up. I mean, I just feel like he's otherworldly in terms of the natural gifts. And we brought up the Brock Lesnar comparison. Do you want to get in? I, I, I brought up Lesnar over the weekend, and of course – some will say allegedly that has been enhanced at times, but this guy's like afraid to ingest protein powder. He's so well, afraid to pop. I mean, this is all natural, just just an absolute beast, man. A hundred percent all natural. And and here's the thing. I I mean, is there a chin out there? No matter how good the chin is, is there a chin that can withstand uh, the punching power from Ngannou? I mean, Cain Velasquez in his prime. I I don't know if he could withstand a shot like yeah. that from Francis Ngannou. Stipe Miocic has an amazing chin. I don't know if he's going to be able to withstand a punch from Ngannou. Doesn't mean he he can't win. I mean, Stipe Miocic. If you're watching that fight, uh, he's thinking, well, looks like I have to clinch this guy as soon as possible, put him on his yeah. back, and box him. You know, when Ngannou's on his back in the guard or yeah. the mount position, that's the only way you want to you want to trade with Ngannou is that if you're mounted on top of him, and that's pretty much it. Anthony Hamilton is a massive heavyweight, and uh, about a year ago when Francis Ngannou didn't even know what a Kimura was, essentially, right. <laughs> he Kimura'd Anthony Hamilton. It's just like, oh, we're on the ground, so what's the closest limb to me, and let me try and snap the thing flush off your butt, yeah. you know? Uh, let me ask you this. Vinny Magalhaes uh, has never felt anyone as strong in a grappling situation as Francis fucking Ngannou. So if the power <laughs> on the feet that. wasn't enough, but think about that, Kenny, right? I mean... For, that's high praise from someone like Vinny. He's rolled with everyone who's anyone, at, yep. and at heavyweight and otherwise, right? So, like, where does that sit with the the Brazilian jiu-jitsu master Kenneth Allen Florian? <laughs> that well, type of praise, uh, again, you know. You know uh, uh, Ice is is a guy who's been around. Uh, he's fought uh, both in MMA and and, and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu as as well, obviously at a very high level. Um, he would know. Uh, he's trained with some of the best in the world. He's beaten some of the best in the world. And the fact that, you know, he has the opportunity to feel that kind of strength and know what kind of athlete that Francis Ngannou is. Vinny isn't the kind of guy who exaggerates um, or, or just gives praise lightly. Actually, Vinny is, is pretty critical of a lot of people and, you know, doesn't give praise if they don't deserve. And the fact that he's saying that I think really means a lot. Um, and, uh, again, the fact that Ngannou's training has access to a guy like Vinny Magalhaes is, is right. totally different, um, you know, and, and than what he was experiencing in France. They just don't have that level. So, uh, again, it's not like, you know, France is the kind of guy who's going to sit you off his back at this point. He might, but yeah. moving forward, uh, I think he's going to be dangerous on the mat as well, which is a scary thing. Jerome, Jerome LeBanner and, and Dewey Cooper in his corner. And, of course, Fernand Lopez deserves a lot of credit here for steering – Francis Ngannou away from boxing into MMA and, and seemingly for knowing his weaknesses pretty well. I know Ngannou hasn't seen a third round yet in the UFC. The longest fight was against Curtis Blades, a doctor stoppage at the end of two. But uh, I think it's going to take a huge effort from Stipe uh, to dethrone, I mean to dethrone, to uh, to retain. I mean, yeah. Jesus, I hope Stipe's not fucking listening right now. Yeah. Um, Stipe's going to be pissed, sort of, bro. Well, and he wrote, and still, on his Instagram, and I thought it was a great caption from Stipe, but the question beckons if you are Stipe Miocic what do you do and I don't mean you you go cycle on or anything I mean sure. what do you do in this championship defense do you jab do you wrestle what do you do uh, as scared as we are watching him and as scared as probably the rest of the heavyweight division is watching someone like Francis Ngannou I don't think Stipe is intimidated uh, Stipe is just not that kind of guy um, Stipe has an amazing belief in himself he is the heavyweight version of Frankie Edgar um, even the way that he fights is very similar to Frankie Edgar. Um, yeah. High volume uh, striker, uh, heart for days, a guy who can really do it all as far as you know wrestling and striking. Um, knows how to come back from adversity. Smart fighter now. 
um, and has a ton of experience as well. So I, I think that the best way is for him to slip under those punches, faint his way in, keep Francis Ngannou guessing, and look for that takedown. Put him on the put him on the mat as quickly as possible, and he's got to take him down, not up against the cage like Overeem tried to do, right. because you right. can use the cage to kind of lean and kind of defend a lot easier and be more efficient up against the cage than you can in the open mat. In the center of the octagon, that's where Stipe really has to look for those takedowns, where it's going to be more difficult for him to defend those takedowns. It can he, he can use motion um, in order to finish those singles and doubles. So uh, I think for Stipe. Um, you know, the the strategy definitely will revolve around taking this man down. He does not want to strike with someone like Francis Ngannou for too long. Certainly not in the boxing range where Stipe likes to take uh, his fights a lot of times. It'll be the biggest heavyweight championship fight that we have had in years, Flo. And uh, I think it'll be really interesting if Stipe does get that early takedown to see if he can keep him there and try to extend Francis Ngannou and potentially expose him on the feet. Yeah. But the reason why it's the biggest heavyweight fight that we've had in so many years is Stipe in a lot of respects, who is chasing this greatness. A lot of people said no matter whom he fights in his next fight, if he successfully defends, he will have done in terms of the title defense is what no previous heavyweight has done. And and even if he beats Cain Velazquez, who's a little bit long in the tooth, right before Ngannou was in the picture, mm -hmm. had he beat Cain Velazquez, that would have cemented Stipe's legacy. He beats Ngannou uh, as a third or whatever, fourth title defense. It's the record breaker for him, and, and I think he would go down at least at this point in time, as the greatest heavyweight to ever do it. Last thing I'll say, you know, and we could do an hour on Nganu, Joe Rogan made a comparison on his podcast to Bo Jackson. And that, I thought, was what I had sort of been looking for in terms of analogies all week. It's just not quite fair genetically and physically what Nganu brings to the table. He did cut weight for this fight, Kenny. You know, I think he showed up at like 269 and cut down to 262 obviously he cut an extra four pounds that could have just been working out but you know i think he showed up at 269 and and cut weight i i just think sometimes you get this bo jackson this once in a generation type of physical athlete and uh what do you do well what absolutely do do? i think we have to kind of wait to see him uh, against an elite wrestler like, like a miocic um because if you point to all the people that he's faced has he faced a high level takedown artist no. Well, I guess he, he Curtis, hasn't at this Curtis Blades obviously was developing. He was a JUCO national champion, I think. But your point is well taken. I mean, yeah, you know, he's not again junior college, uh, junior college national champion. Again, isn't a D1 national champion. Isn't a, a right. D1 wrestler right. uh, or an Olympic style wrestler. But yeah, I, 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 absolutely. With what we've seen so far, um, it, it, he's a rare kind of athlete, a rare kind of fighter. Um, and all of his background has kind of led to this. And when you get a guy who's as humble as a Francis Ngannou, he's only going to work that much harder. And I don't think he's going to be drinking the Kool-Aid. I think he realizes that in this game, um, as quickly as you come up, you can go straight down. We've seen it so many times. Other guys, Anthony Pettis was going to be the next superstar. Uh, right. You know, was on a Wheaties box, and we, you know, he's been struggling. This, this sport is absolutely brutal. So, you know, Ronda Rousey, uh, again, uh, another, you know, one that Rogan was saying was going to be a next generation, you know, once in a generation type of fighter. Well, we, we saw what happened. This this game is brutal. There's always someone who's coming up, learning, getting better. And again, all it takes is one mistake. So we, we have to be careful in throwing around those analogies. But again, he beats a guy like Stipe Miocic. What else can you say? I mean, 
Uh, you're right, and I am definitely reckless when it comes to analogies and absolutes and, and guilty as charged, but I sort of felt like this guy was super special before the Overeem fight yeah. and felt like he should be, with all due respect to the demolition man, minus 500 and not minus 260. I mean, there was a prop out there over under a round and a half, seven and a half minutes under minus 140. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have any grand visions that this thing was going to last more than four minutes, never mind see a second round. Right. Uh, so I guess we'll see. And, I, you know, do you know the guy who I've always said is the biggest power puncher I've ever seen in UFC history in any division? It was Anthony, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Right. So I feel like that torch was passed this weekend. Oh, without uh, a doubt, man. And, and imagine, uh, again, as big as Anthony Johnson is, and probably as big as Anthony Johnson is right now, uh, he, he still doesn't look like a guy like a Francis Ngannou. You look at his legs. I mean, his ankles, his legs. He's, he's not. It's everywhere. He has muscle everywhere. It, it, it's yeah. crazy. And, uh, again, what really blew me away was his reaction time, his ability to read what Overeem was doing and to throw that uppercut at the perfect time I, I thought was just spectacular, man. He, he's, he's a special fighter. There's no doubt about it. That cannot be denied. And he's got his own, like, NFL-level facility, essentially, to himself, right? Uh, right? The strength and conditioning coach, director of strength and conditioning at the UFC PI, Bo Sandoval, right? I mean, dude, and that just like, started. That just started. Imagine him well, right. in a year, two years. I mean, he could be a guy who really holds onto that belt for a very long time. You know, yeah. I mean, NFL teams would be lucky to have a guy like Bo Sandoval. And Ngannou, obviously, there are other fighters, Evan Dunham, several that use it regularly, but... That's Ngannou's home fucking gym, man. Yeah. Um, it's advantage, unbelievable. It's advantage. All right. So that closes the book on Francis Ngannou. I was going to see if we could actually do a full hour on the guy. <laughs> Max Blessed Holloway putting a, a huge capstone on this title reign with the back-to-back -back wins over Jose Aldo. The winning streak is now 12. Nine of those are finishes. And... I just felt like Jose, I felt good about him. I felt like he was in shape. I, I wasn't worried about the scale. I think he was playing games a little bit, Kenny. I think twice now, Max Holloway has beaten a very game, very in shape, close to 100% prime Jose Alda. Mm -hmm. um, is that fair? I think so. I, I really do. And, and you look at Jose, he was doing great. Obviously, once again, it was the same thing. It was, it was kind of a... The exact same fight replayed, um, and it was Jose Aldo who is a hundred meet meter sprinter, and Max Holloway was able to fool him uh, into saying, you know, yeah, we're going to do that hundred meter race. But then it, it became four hundred meters and eight hundred meters, and Jose Aldo just could not keep up that pace. Max Holloway did a brilliant job of just steadily increasing. Uh, the speed and, and Jose thought that he needed to stay with him Jose Aldo didn't try to reset he didn't use his footwork to circle away he got caught brawling uh, in that last round against Holloway and that's exactly what Holloway wanted Holloway knew that he could he could withstand the punches he could withstand the pressure he could withstand the pace and he knew that there was going to come a time where Aldo wasn't going to be able to do that and we've seen Aldo really thrive against guys who try to take him down I think the reason is it gives him that ability to really rest and relax relax and reset but if you're striking with him consistently and you're keeping that fast pace I don't think he can do it a lot of guys that are fast twitch that try to keep a pace with a guy like a Max Holloway who's kind of that marathon style runner um, you just can't do it Aldo isn't able to have that endurance and 
again, for a lot of people saying, oh, well, he needs to work on his conditioning. Listen, he's been fighting for a very long time. He was yeah. a champion for a long is. time. Yeah. He's gone five hard rounds before. Does anybody remember that that rematch against Chad Mendes? How crazy that fight was! Now I think it's the greatest fight in UFC history. Yeah, one of the best. That. One of the best fights, man. I was watching that on my honeymoon. I was like, yeah, hold on, I just got to see the rest right. of this fight. That's it was right. insane, and he went five hard rounds. Now, the question is, why isn't Aldo able to do that now? It, was it because he, now he's dealing with more? You know, he was dealing more with the grappling style in Chad Mendes. Um, yeah. And a lot of guys thought that the way to beat Aldo was to take him down. Um, or is it now that people are figuring out you got to keep that high, fast pace? Or yeah. should some credit go to Conor McGregor for knocking him out cold, taking away his confidence, and perhaps taking away his chin? I think there's something there, uh, but I still believe that Jose Aldo and this performance in particularly had some merit. I mean, Max was limping out of the cage. He did go to the leg kick. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just feel like Kenny... If I'm a Jose Aldo fan, I can defend this performance and this approach even because I feel like he felt like the only way – I feel like inside he's thinking the only way I'm going to beat Max is if I go for it. And I, I have enough confidence in my power that if I can land one upstairs and follow up and try to finish right. this guy, I don't think he expected he was going to be able to beat Max over 25 minutes or even last 25 minutes if he didn't finish Holloway. So I felt like it was just sort of a balls-to-the-wall approach there in that third round. And, and certainly I can understand why you and others would maybe criticize it. I guess I just feel like he felt like he was up against it. Like Max just – I don't know, man. I just never felt like Max – was in any 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 jeopardy of, of losing either fight, even though Jose got off early in the first fight and, yeah. and established the leg kicks in the second fight. You Listen, know? I, I think you're right, but again, Aldo, he didn't have to just sit there and just start trading and, and throw bombs with someone like Max Holloway. Uh, but yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's great analysis, actually, is the fact that for Aldo, who took this fight on short notice, he probably knew, I can't go five hard rounds with someone like Holloway. Holloway doesn't get tired. Holloway can yeah. do 10 rounds. He's like that Tony yep, Ferguson yep. Uh, type guy, as you and Joe uh, you know, so astutely put it, that he can go forever, and he's not going to quit. He's not going to slow down. He, in fact, a lot of, in a lot of ways, those guys just get stronger as the rounds go on. Um, yeah. So I think you're right. I think Aldo probably felt like he probably had to go for it. The only way he was going to win was get the finish. But how about this? Why not go for a takedown? I think maybe he right. shot or, or attempted at once to try to yeah. clinch with, with Holloway. Right. Why not try to put Holloway on his back, especially right. early on in the fight, to try to slow him down? Um, but, uh, again, Holloway is a brilliant fighter. Uh, he's very, very good. He's very, very smart. Um, I think this is a guy who could uh, hold on to that belt for a very long time. Um, and, uh, again, as much as I'm a huge Frankie fan, I don't know if Frankie's going to be able to pull that off. I, I think he, he brings yeah. together, obviously, a, brings a, a style that's very different than someone like a Jose Aldo. But, how do you deal with that reach, man? Holloway is just too big, too rangy, uh, has an amazing chin, uh, amazing conditioning. He's not too shabby on the ground either. You saw what happened when Aldo tried to go to the ground with him and when he tried to play off of his back. Holloway's right. just all over him, man. This is a very special fighter that I, I remember very well. When I saw him at 22 years old, he was waiting in line to weigh in. I went up to him. I said, you're going to be a champion one day. And, uh, and he appreciated the comment, and I'm not sure if he believed it himself, but boy is he coming to his own as a fighter and he doesn't necessarily wow you right i mean it's not it's just he is just so good and and pretty clean and uh 
Go ahead, kid. No, what exactly. I was just going to say it's that guy who does all the little things well, all the fundamentals, yeah. everything he just does perfectly. It's nothing spectacular with this amazing power, amazing speed, or you know this crazy submission ability. It's just this is a guy who's been doing the fundamentals since he was a kid. Obviously, a guy who's involved in a lot of fights, I'm sure, in Hawaii. Uh, yeah. So be believed in himself and, and had that experience. But um, a guy who has been brought up very well and trained very well. Yep. And they just have a great, great system in place and a new gym. And uh, Yancey Medeiros tells me the coaches are trying to get better, right? It's not just the fighters. Yeah. It's well, just an amazing family. And Yancey also said, too, you know, all these guys trying to get their suits tailored, we're tailor-making champions, you know? <laughs> I mean, Yancey is no fucking joke, and I can't oh. wait to get to him. As far as Max Holloway is concerned, Kenny, we got to call UFC 143. Remember that movie theater pay-per-view we did, right? And yes. that was his UFC debut. He was 20 years old. It was that mounted triangle armbar, I think, that I Justin Poirier, Poirier yes. pulled off. Hasn't been finished since. That's the only time he has been finished, I believe, in his UFC career. I don't believe he's ever been knocked out as a professional. So he's now 19-3. and three. He's won 12 fights in a row. It's one of seven double-digit winning streaks in UFC history. And remarkably, a lot of these, Kenny, are active right now. Double-digit active winning streaks in the UFC. Max Holloway, Tony Ferguson, George St. Pierre, and Demetrius Johnson – John Jones's streak, I guess, technically is is no longer active uh, with at least one no contest in there. So, but it's amazing that of those seven double-digit winning streaks in this era of parity in a lot of respects, right, and how closely matched all these guys are, that five of those seven winning streaks are active, and Max Holloway's got one of them. And so, as we spin it forward, Ken Flo for Max. Uh, Going to be tough for Frankie Edgar. Perhaps uh, he will be next. Of yeah. course, we've got T-City, Brian Ortega taking on Cub Swanson yes. this weekend in a main event. The timing is nice for Cub and T-City here. If they could get a win and a finish, maybe they could cut the line. Swanson's already had a shot at Max Holloway, but you think it'll be Frankie Edgar next for Max uh, at 145 pounds? In my opinion, yeah, without a doubt. Frankie yeah. Edgar deserves it most uh, of anyone out there right now. Um, I think it's an interesting style matchup. But again, I think Holloway is a special fighter, man. I'll, I'll probably be releasing um, my pound for pound rankings again this week, and Ooh, uh, I'm putting, I'm putting, tease. I'm putting Holloway, I'm putting Holloway up, man. Well, and I'll tell you, I said going in, and I'm doing a lot of radio interviews leading up. I don't know if I said it here on on the famed Anakin Florian podcast, FoxSports.com, but that he might be the number one pound for pound fighter in the world right now, and it's just because DJ's there, and and. DJ has 11 title defenses compared to one for Max Holloway. Um, but look what this guy has done at 145. And, and again, uh, look at his fight against Conor McGregor back when he lost. And again, Conor McGregor, right. of course, he tore his ACL during that yep. fight. Um, but you think you think Max Holloway is the same fighter that he was when he fought Conor McGregor oh. way back when? He's he's improved leaps and bounds since then. He's a completely different guy, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a a rematch that we may see. I think it has legs, yeah. and these guys have gone back and forth, of course, a little bit on Twitter, uh, talking trash a little bit, which I like, and um, I, don't be surprised if we see this rematch. I think that might be one of the few fights that McGregor may cut down to 145 for if it becomes really, really big. And you know what? Oh, Holloway will probably chase him at 155. You know, so I mean, uh, do I need to put a tattoo on Conor McGregor never weighing 145 <laughs> pounds as long as he lives? Is that what I have to do I right mean, now? Do I have to uh, listen? If there's enough money, he'll do it. Why not? All right, 
we got it. I mean, there, I just don't see it flow. I yeah, love you, I but I mean, I it's I almost give it the I same odds of 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 you cutting down to to that weight again, right? Like I feel <laughs> like I feel like it was some similar pain for him as it was for you. I know you're a bigger man than yeah. he is, but I don't know, man. I just I I see that rematch happening at 155. Um, Could be. And in terms of Holloway and the historical context, Kenny. He's just getting going, right? So, you know, I, I mean, maybe he's the greatest featherweight of all time. It's harder to make a case for Aldo with the three losses now to Max and Jose, obviously. But those who suggest that Max is not the best featherweight of all time and that Conor McGregor is that guy, I'm not going to argue with you. I think Conor has a case, but I can make a stronger case for Holloway, largely rooted in the fact that he has more than twice as many yeah. UFC featherweight fights than Conor McGregor does. And I believe he has more than twice as many featherweight uh, wins as Conor McGregor as well. So uh, also, Kenny, in sort of putting a bow on Holloway, and I got a couple more things on Jose Aldo, I asked Max on Tuesday, can you guarantee me that you'll compete at 155 pounds, you know, before your UFC career is said and done? And he says, I can guarantee you I will compete at 185 pounds before my career is said and done. Max said he wouldn't even tell me what he walked into the octagon at against Jose Aldo for the first meeting in terms of how much he weighed because right. he said I wouldn't believe him. Wow. So Interesting. He's, he's cannonball coming for Ken Flo and Diego Sanchez as the only two <laughs> fighters in <laughs> Dang, UFC history. To, but he wants to be a champion in four of them, and yeah. fuck if I'm going to put it past well, him. Well, like, this I, is what he, I'm saying, man. This could be a guy, again, let's say he gets to that BJ Penn status, which he could totally surpass. Now you're talking about a huge fight. That's a huge money fight. If he gets to that BJ Penn status, and BJ is a guy that has pulled in, you know, in that level of of a million pay per views uh, himself yeah. in some of his fights. Um, uh, again, now you're now Conor McGregor is going to be seeing dollar signs, which would be that much more enticing for him to go out there, not only prove that he's better than Max Holloway, but make a lot of money at the same time. Who knows? Again, it's still early. So may, again, both these guys still pretty young. We could see it. All right, one final thing on Jose Aldo. Uh, Joe Rogan questioned why they didn't work on the swelling after round one, and he was uh, accurate and, I think, appropriate to do so. I spoke with a veteran cut man earlier today, and he says a lot of these corners, Kenny, whether it's an experienced corner like Andre Pedroneris or somebody who maybe doesn't have the repetitions or the experience, a lot of these guys sort of shuck the cut men off when they say, do you want me to go in and address the swelling? Certainly yeah. for a cut, they're more liberal in opening that door. Now, it's my understanding that if you have a cut man and a corner man in the octagon, right, you can only have two people in the octagon yep. at one point in time. But, of course, your corner man can stand behind you and offer essentially the same advice. You can flip the stool around if you really want to face that other guy. But it seems to me like the cut man in this situation was asking to go in there and treat the swelling, and the corner did not afford him the opportunity to do so. And yep. Huge mistake as far as I'm concerned. I don't think it would have mattered necessarily, especially given the way Aldo seemed to approach the end of this fight. But uh, any thoughts on that as sort of a trend of the of these corner men not allowing the cup man to get in there and, and do his job when it comes to the swelling? Yeah, I could sum it up with one word, stupid. I mean, yeah. how, how do you not let a, a cup man in there uh, to help your fighter? And a lot of it's this kind of machismo or, you know, well, right. no, let's get guys in there that are his teammates that are going to make him feel more comfortable. you got to address the safety of the fighter. And, and it doesn't yeah. matter if the guy's a, a, a tough guy like a Michael Bisping or whatever it is. Take care of your fighter. Allow him to be able to fight longer. Allow him to be safer in there. Um, and I think a lot of that, that gets trumped by, oh, no, let me give him the knowledge to go out there and get the win, or let me give him the motivation. Let's get him guys that, that he's familiar with uh, in the octagon. And it's just, 
it, it's a stupid move. Yeah. Period. All right, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje. So much Insane. hype for this fight. I couldn't even believe it was the second fight on pay-per-view. It's like, oh, we're here already. And uh, lived up to the hype, maybe surpassed it in the eyes of a lot of people. I thought there was a lot of good technique in there, even though it sort of played out as a brawl at times. Um, your thoughts on Alvarez Gaethje and the underground king against the betting odds, 35th professional fight going in there and and bouncing uh, Mr. Gaethje there from the ranks of the unbeat. Well, you know, it seems like the, the moment you see Eddie Alvarez compete and maybe he doesn't get the result he wants or if he loses by a finish or whatever, you you, you have this tendency of, or I, I should say, let me speak for myself, I have this yeah. tendency of going, well, you know what, that fighter might be done. I, I don't know. He's been fighting for a very long time. He's had war after war. He's fought all over the world. A little bit later in his career, of course. He's a little bit older now. Eddie's probably done. And that's what I thought. Um, how mistaken I was. Uh, I mean, huh. went out there against uh, a guy like Justin Gaethje, a, a guy who thrives in that kind of environment, and we forgot that Eddie Alvarez does as well, I think, um, and that his chin uh, is better than we thought. Um, the fact that he was able to withstand those body shots, those uh, those shots of the head, uh, you know, the swelling in the mouth, I mean, yeah. he, he's unbelievable. He, he He's a Rocky-type uh, figure in mixed martial arts, a lot like a Frankie Edgar. Um, yeah. Yeah. and I'm throwing a lot of Frankie Edgar references today. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he, he's he's amazing, man. He's amazing. And the fact that he did the, did this against the much larger Justin Gaethje um, really, uh, again, solidifies Eddie Alvarez as one of those legendary fighters in this sport. And it's an absolute honor and pleasure uh, to watch him compete yeah. in the UFC after everything that he's dealt with. People forget that this guy probably missed out on, what, like almost two years of not being able to compete in the octagon because of uh, contract issues and all that stuff. And the yep. fact that we have him, man, he, he's an absolute treasure. Uh, what a fighter getting the finish over Justin Gaethje, hitting that knee that just collapsed him um, oh. was insane. And another one of these fight of the year candidates, as we knew it would be. Yeah. But the fact that it went out there and delivered it, it just shows the, these both of these guys, Justin Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez, um, you know, I, I can watch them fight every single time out. It, it doesn't matter who they're fighting. You yeah. can bet on one thing. Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje is going to deliver excitement, aggression, uh, and they're going to try to finish that fight right as soon as that bell starts. So um, just uh, another amazing fight that truly delivered. And in terms of the body of work, Alvarez certainly has an argument as the greatest lightweight fighter in mixed martial arts history. But in terms of this 35-year-old version, and you talked about some of the things that I was going to hit on the chin. Like, how much credit does Tyler Minton, the melee way, deserve, right? Because Eddie is saying to me before the fight, he's like, I'm a unique athlete, right? I've never had any enhancement my entire career. And when he says it to you, I mean, you know, it's fact. And But he's never felt better. And I think a lot of that has to do with nutrition. I mean, yep. how much does the fact that this was the easiest cut of his career? I mean, if you saw on Instagram, he was trying to run the pounds off and not even invoke the sauna or the hot tub, right? How much credit does the nutritionist deserve? Because what Tyler always says is this is a weight-cutting sport, and a big part of my job is not just getting him to 56. It's making sure that he can perform optimally 20 hours later. Right. And it seems to me like that was sort of a big cornerstone to what led to Alvarez's success this weekend. It's the science of getting your weight down uh, in the proper time, uh, and then, at, like you said, it's a matter of uh, eating the right foods, of preparing your body for competition 
the next day. And also making sure you're eating good food throughout your training camp, keeping your mind and body strong so you can perform at a very high level. And a lot of these fighters, um, you know, even myself included, the knowledge out there for nutrition is so much better than it was, and it continues to get better. I think someone said, like, I think around five years ago, they said we know about as much as nutrition as we did in surgery in, like, the 1920s. So we still don't know a whole lot uh, about it. But these guys are getting better and better and better, um, learning from their mistakes and improving. And and these fighters are benefiting because of it. Tyler Minton, doesn't he work with uh, Max Holloway as well? Max Holloway, D.C. um, So I've met him. He seems extremely knowledgeable, very laid back. Um, you know, doing a lot of the cooking for these guys, keeping these guys sane and healthy and, and motivated and energized. Uh, it really is a huge advantage. And Eddie Alvarez just looked phenomenal, man, both, uh, you know, aesthetically, look-wise, yeah. and uh, as far as performance. Yeah, he looked big and strong, and I'm glad we had a chance to uh, to shout out Tyler because we failed to do so on pay-per-view. The other thing with Alvarez, too, this was a tricky guy to prepare for in talking to Ricardo Almeida and Mark Henry because – you want to try to take advantage of some of the things that that Justin gives you, right? Body open, they certainly exploited that. Brilliant. But you also, against a fighter like this, have to be willing to throw caution to the wind a little bit and not be too analytical about it and, and to be willing to trust your instincts. And mm-hmm. again, with Alvarez, I think the McGregor loss was super helpful for him from a mental standpoint. He is a voracious reader. Is, is it a vociferous reader? What's the word? Voracious reader? Voracious. But, Okay, so he's a voracious reader, but I do feel like he had to step out of his comfort zone a little bit and be willing to get in an absolute war. I'm going to hold that thought there because now joining us on the guest line, 2008 Olympic gold medalist in freestyle wrestling, UFC flyweight contender Henry Cejudo is with us. Henry, congrats on another big win, man. How you feeling this morning? All right? Uh, Good, good, good. A little sore. <laughs> a little sore. Well, I believe it, man. It, it was a hard 15 minutes. It was a dominant 15 minutes. I know in talking to one of your cornermen, Eric Albaracin, he said the strategy was to wrestle if it was there. And, man, did you dominate? I thought you stayed busy in Pettis's guard to prevent any stand-up situation. Uh, you did barely even got warned by Keith Peterson. So overall assessment of, of the 15 minutes you turned in over the weekend, my man. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'd say so. I mean, I, I'm a tough critic on myself, but I think for the most part, we uh, we followed the game plan. I mean, that, that's how it was. I think we're expecting. Uh, I think Bettis and their camp, they're expecting us to stand. And uh, like I said before, man, I have this. I have the you know the pink. There's a pink elephant in the room, and sometimes I, I find my B side for you know for entertainment is the fact that I like it, which is stand up. But really, my A side is my bread and butter is my wrestling. So I finally started to use it. People complain that I don't use it. And now that I'm using it, people are complaining. <laughs> They're always going to find something to complain about, Henry. That, that, that's uh, <laughs> no breaking news for you, I'm sure. But, yeah, that's the way it goes, man. Um, you know, when you face someone like Sergio, was it more like you knew that you had the advantage in the wrestling or you just didn't want to take the risk of standing up with Sergio for too long? No, I I just knew I had the advantage of it. Even even when we even when we did strike, he he, he didn't have power. Uh, he, he doesn't have that power that 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 scary power. He's precise with his punches, which is which is what's scary. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, Sergio is yet to kind of develop like that power. I mean, I think it's just because his he's, he's so rangy. He uh, he was just getting just a little bit closer on his punches. 
we would be a lot more lethal. But other than that, like I, uh, you know, I, I decided to throw, you know, uh, throw a curveball at him. And I knew that was just a deficiency of uh, of Sergio and his brother. They've always said they, they, they both, they, his brother has had a lot of problems with wrestlers. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of studied his brother a lot too. So that, that, that's all it was. It was, it was just all game fun. Now, obviously, I've seen huge improvements uh, in your game, but where, how are you different since that last fight against Demetrius Johnson, man? Because, I, you know, in your fight against Sergio, I said, these are two guys who could be future champs in this division. But uh, I'm curious to see how, how how you've changed as a fighter, how you think you've changed as a fighter since facing uh, the champ Demetrius. Yeah, no, well, firstly, I think with Demetrius, you have to mix it. Because yeah. Demetrius is good everywhere. He's good on the ground. He's good on his feet. He's, he's got good wrestling. Uh, you know, but I, I feel like I've improved a lot uh, since then. And, uh, you know, I kind of became, I'm kind of sound like a broken record, but when I fought Demetrius Johnson, I was only fighting for three years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, one year into the UFC, uh, you know, they had gave me, a, you know, they gave me a title shot because if, you know, they see the level of athlete that I am and I right. can go in there, you know, jump on a four, five, one streak and not even use my wrestling. But I've learned a lot, man. I've traveled the world. I've, I've gone. I got styles from from different places, from Thailand, Singapore, to uh, to Brazil, and uh, I've gone everywhere, man. I've been. I think, he, and I think it's shown throughout my throughout my last fights, especially with Wilson. With Wilson, you know, I'm, I'm able to stand and, and and stay there, you know, and understand distance and range and whatnot, which were things that I didn't understand before. And uh, I guess you could call it MMA distance. Yeah, well, it's been amazing, man, the striking improvements that you've made. Now, there's been some talk about uh, a possible T.J. Dillashaw and Demetrius Johnson fight. Um, what do you think about that, and, and uh, who do you think will win? Uh, personally, I feel, uh, you know, I, I think it's great for our weight class. I'm not going to be complaining because I feel like I feel like T.J. has put in his work. I think he is a big he Obviously, he's a big name. He's a champ above. But I think... Uh, I think uh, I think the Mitch, I think it's going to be a pretty decisive uh, win for Demetrius Johnson just just because of the fact that Demetrius is going to he's going to bring he's going to bring a he's going to bring a fast pace to that fight. It's five rounds, and on top of that, TJ Dillashaw has to lose an additional ten pounds. <laughs> Personally, I think that will affect you a little bit, especially going up against a cardio machine like like Demetrius. Like you have to first. You know, make the weight and then and then recover well, and, and then the the rest is like you know being technically sound or whatnot. But if you're not recovered and uh, uh, for the fight, you're going to be in some deep trouble because the Mitchell will bring Cejudo. the pace, man. It shines. Henry Cejudo with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Speaking of the weight and the management of it. Is it fair to say that you've mastered the cut at this point in time? I know you told me Tuesday you're a little bit of a meaty flyweight. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but uh, you seem to be at the height of discipline and seem to have gotten in a good place with it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I've, I've learned to see it as a process. I think sometimes us wrestlers will uh, will cut will 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 cut weight as much as 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 much as we can, like the last day and. That's, that that stuff has has bit me in the butt a little bit, and uh, it's just being smart about it. You know, having a, you know, having having a full time chef for my fight camps, uh, you know, doing that whole thing, it's just been worth it, man. I've been able to kind of stay lean, stay strong, and and, and you can tell by the time it's fight day or weigh-ins, 
uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm nice and shredded, and then I recover the next day. So, I, I, and I think that's a that's a big plus to when I eventually fight Demetrius Johnson again, is I'll be able to say like, man, I'm I'm recovered as I'm gonna fight you, man, because I've, you know, I've got a bunch of fights under my belt now, and uh, I'm able to recover after these hard after these weight cuts, and then I feel like now I can perform a lot better. I know Dana White has said Demetrius Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw is going to be next, but you also told me during fight week that you do think about DJ a lot. I know you're chomping at the bit to get another crack at him, and I feel like in the three fights you've had since the DJ fight, you've done enough to prove yourself as the top contender. Again, certainly the Benavidez decision was controversial. Most people I talked to thought you won that fight. I mean, do you feel like if that was your next fight four or five months from now, that you're now ready to, to put your best foot forward and become the new champion? Yeah, I think so, man. I think so. Like, And, and again, man, Demetrius Johnson, he, he, he's, he's beatable just like everybody else is, man. Everybody everybody, everybody can lose, man, especially in this game. Yes, he did stop me. He did stop me to the body, but, man, it's, I guess we uh, I guess we, we, we learn from that stuff, man. We learn from these mistakes. And, you know, it ain't the first time I've lost. Like, I... I've I've lost I lost throughout my whole career in wrestling, and what's made me good, what's made me the best in the world in that sport, was the fact that I've learned from all these mm-hmm. losses, all these mistakes, losing to guys from Russia, Iran, you know, different places and all across the world, and then just man, decided to shine when the light is bright, and uh, I hope I I hope I eventually do get my shot, but but again, man, I'm not complaining, man. I think that TJ DJ uh, fight is. It's good for yeah. our weight class, man. I personally feel that like it's going to be really good for Demetrius because people are going to really see how good he really is. Yeah. Uh, well, I think people will always put, you know, people will always say that he's he's not such and such, but really, man, he is top to the best fighter in the world. And it sucks for me to say that because he's in my weight class. I'm a competitor, but, right. man, it's just the reality. So I know your team was maybe a little bit disappointed you didn't get the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. I was actually told that Francis Ngannou was going to eat one of our UFC employees if we didn't let him get in the octagon. So it had been a long 11 months for Francis, and we had to get him into the cage. But in all seriousness, when Benavidez got that split decision against you, I went into the octagon to interview him, and we were just showered with booze the entire time because the crowd thought you won the fight. Now, the Detroit crowd didn't necessarily appreciate the wrestling but what would you have done with that opportunity would it have been a dj call out would you have tried to sort of explain to these people that this is mixed martial arts what would that post-fight interview uh with joe rogan have entailed if you had gotten it no personally i'd be like hey man i'm, I'm if, if i am to get that next title shot I'm like i'm not gonna because of what i did to uh, wilson hayes my last fight um right. you know i want to throw people off dude i don't i don't want to necessarily necessarily show all my skills either against against Demetrius Jones because I know I, I know right. I'm gonna be better. Like you down right. in my heart like I was I, I, I knew it was just a it was just a stylistic it was a bad matchup for him. You know? Yeah. And uh you know I'm I, I had my eyes set on him and then I knew soon right after that, you know, Demetrius Johnson would be there, he would be watching. But it's it, it's like anything. Yeah, I, I wasn't gonna call him out, but at the same time it's like you know, I mean it's, I mean it is what it is. I just I, I I got a wooden lineman. I've had my shot. I lost, and uh, you know, talk to the UFC and then talk to my coaches. And I don't mind getting one more fight before I fight Demetrius. You know, like it's uh, it's okay for me because I'm only getting better, man. I'm only getting better, and uh, 
if this fight with TJ does happen with DJ, then I think I think this is great. I think it's I think it's great for our weight class. And like I well, said before, even if Demetrius Johnson did not want to take that fight with TJ, like like he has, I said, I said I'll fight uh, TJ Dillashaw. Right. Because right. I I I know the advantage and the disadvantage of cutting a lot of weight, and I just don't feel like uh, I just don't feel like I just don't feel like. You know, I think at 135 pounds, if Demetrius was to go up or, or Demetrius was to go up, I think it'd be a lot, a lot more equal. But when you're I coming agree. down an extra 10 pounds, man, that stuff hurts, man. It hurts. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I think you you hit on a lot of good points. I think you carry yourself like a champion, man. And it's been a pleasure for all of us to to watch you evolve. I. I have no doubt that you will eventually get back into a title fight, and hopefully, you can maximize that opportunity. I appreciate you breaking away for a couple minutes. What have you been eating since the fight, dude? Are you, are you beefing up a little bit or what? <laughs> what is what is with me and food? <laughs> Burgers and shakes, huh, Henry? <laughs> yeah, I've been. Uh, I've been uh, there's, a, there's a there's a place out here called Peter Piper. Peter Piper Pizza. I've never been here before, but uh, it's pretty. Nice. It's, it's a pizza that I that I grew up eating when I was a little, when I was a kid, and. Uh, that's typically where I go every day. Every time I fight, that's typically where I go. I go to a nice little pizza place. Nice. All right, well, you've earned it. Get some rest, man, and we look forward to your next fight. Appreciate the time sincerely, man. Have a good day. You too, John. You guys have a good one. Thank you, man. All right, there he is, the 2008 Olympic gold medalist, UFC flyweight contender, Henry Cejudo. And, bro, these dudes, their approach to this game is next level. And uh, it's there's a lot of elite fighters there, right? But, like, they all Eric Albaracin is saying is like, dude, go hire a wrestling coach now, okay? Because all we're going to do is re wrestle. Or wait, are we going to box you, right? Like they don't want to reveal what they're doing, yeah. right? They don't do a ton of media. You know what I mean? And that's all they were saying is that we're trying to throw people off, you know? Um, not to say that Sergio Pettis' training camp wasn't rooted in wrestling, right? He spent a ton of time wrestling, obviously. He's got Izzy Martinez in his corner. He had an entire high school wrestling team revolving their practices around him, right? But, yeah. you know, good luck beating Henry Cejudo and, and good luck figuring out exactly how he's going to approach his next fight. Man, I mean, so much of fighting is the art of deception. Um, and you, you kind of have to be a little secret, especially when you're dealing with a guy with as many weapons as a Demetrius Johnson and being able to... Um, change your colors like a chameleon fight to fight I, I think is an important thing and doesn't really uh give an opponent any patterns to really rely on uh, as far as what to expect and i think it's a smart approach by cejudo and his, and his guys oh, i want to get back to alvarez and gaethje for a second and for justin gaethje man i mean those leg kicks are something fierce and and somehow eddie was just able to tough <laughs> his way through it you know well that's I mean, what was so that's what was so crazy. It looked like the, the tide was kind of shifting. Like, you know, yeah. Eddie was kept shifting his uh, his stance. He was changing his stances. But more than anything else, John, I, I think that, you know, it was obviously his toughness. But it was Eddie going to the body against Justin Gaethje. That's what slowed yep. Gaethje down. That's what really got him to really stay planted in the octagon and allowed Eddie to land combination after combination. Eddie has been in so many different situations. I mean, from getting his neck tweaked up against the cage in a fight in Japan where I thought he was done, he always finds yeah. a way to come back. This guy is an absolute beast. Um, the fact that uh, you know he was able to come back after those leg kicks where it looked like he was kind of just dropping to his back and it looked like the fight was over. Um, but 
uh, unbelievable, man. Uh, Gaethje was, again, brutal with those leg kicks, which I thought was really smart. I just think he, he did it a little bit too late uh, in the fight. Second round, he landed a lot of them. Uh, but I thought he maybe should have done it earlier in the first round and also should have gone to the body against Eddie Alvarez a lot more. Uh, yeah. Eddie took advantage of that aspect against Gaethje, which slowed him down, and then the arms started to drop down, and then Eddie took out the head with the knee. Uh, beautiful hooks, uh, but that knee was just devastating. Well, in one respect, maybe you could say that Eddie Alvarez gave you a little bit of a blueprint for how you beat Justin Gaethje, and in some respects, I would say he did, but there's just not a lot of fighters that are going to be able to go in there and survive long enough to execute any sort of game plan against exactly. that freak, you know? Um, I was questioning if Gaethje was like, an alien life form until we saw him get beat you know <laughs> no he looked so, like the terminator uh, man and like yeah. you said uh, yeah you can go ahead and try to do that game plan that eddie alvarez is but you better have an insane chin you better have some great skills um and uh, you better have uh you know heart for days so that was crazy Sh shaking gaethje's hand i'm like what's this guy gonna do to me oh nothing he's just gonna shake my hand okay um <laughs> And, uh, again, Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, the rematch, I mean, just make the fight. You know, I just think it makes sense. They're both right there on the cusp of contention. And hopefully we do start to get some clarity at 155 pounds. Of course, you've got Khabib Nurmagomedov set to face Edson Barboza later this month. We have two champions right now. So hopefully we can spin this thing forward. And 2018 can be a huge year for the lightweights. At least hopefully we get Ferguson McGregor. And, I mean, I'll pitch in. No, definitely, dude. And, and now maybe we can get that Eddie Alvarez-Dustin Poirier rematch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. the fight. Yeah. Uh, Dustin yeah. wants it, and, and hopefully, uh, as Dustin calls him, Edward will oblige. Um, also on the main card, Kenny Tisha Torres against Michelle Watterson. Torres now a sparkly 6-1 and one in the UFC after getting past Michelle Watterson. Unanimous decision. And I thought Torres really showed you a lot of different wrinkles to her game, but in particular, her mental game, right? After spending the bulk of that second round off of her back to reset, dominate the third round, and leave no doubt that she was the better fighter and the strawweight contender to watch now moving forward. Absolutely. And Michelle Watterson, who's an excellent striker, you could see the respect that she had for Torres on the feet. Torres, um, I thought, def was definitely getting the better of her, and she had to revert to uh, some takedowns to try to get it done. Uh, looked like she was you know, on her way, you know, in the second round with some momentum, hitting that takedown when she did. Uh, but, uh, man, Torres is really tough, knows how to adapt, knows how to come back from adversity. Um, you know, again, just very fast. I think the difference for her was the physicality of Torres. She's yeah. just so strong, man, in that clinch. Uh, extremely strong, very quick, uh, was hitting harder and sharper uh, than Watterson and, uh, and, and got it done. Um, she's definitely someone who I expect to get a title shot at some point. And the karate hottie put on two pounds of muscle. And for a frame that weighs in at 116 pounds, that's a pretty big deal. And I did think physically you saw a different Michelle Watterson, but uh, the tiny tornado, Fall River, Massachusetts. <laughs> Fall River. Done over the weekend. Um, all right. Let's get to, uh, to what's his name? Ray Longo. Let's get to Ray. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. And Kenny Florian podcast. Ray, have you actually gone back and watched the video and seen the, the great graphics package that, that Ben Wasorek put together with this I whole Ray Longo I, minute thing? Have you seen I, it? I don't know who he is, but I just saw it now. Huh. And congratulations. It looked great. I'm telling you, it looks great. All I right. Put well, some effort into it. I like people that put an effort into what they're doing and have some passion, but I'm still reeling from the other night. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how much time you have today, but we'll take as much of it as you'll give us. And, and let's start with Francis Ngannou. Give me some context uh, and give me a blanket to hide under. Yeah, very scary. Um, man, he's a big dude. Looks like he's got serious power. Overeem's been in there with the best, the biggest. Uh, you know, I know Volante's out there with Stipe. And I, I texted him. I said, listen. Tell Stipe you want to put some lights up on the roof for Christmas, and then when he gets up there, push him off. So break his arm, and he's, he's, he could survive for a little longer. No, I'm only kidding, but uh, Stipe's a great guy. I joke around, and what a crazy fight this is going to be. Uh, man, he's scary, man. I don't know. Right now, he's he's on track. I think that was a huge test for him against Overeem to, to, um, to really see if the guy was serious, and he, he passed his first test for sure. And uh, looks like he's in the right spot with his training. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's got the power. Uh, you know, I don't know where his wrestling stands, but if he hits you, he's going to hurt you. And at that size, you know, it's firstest with the mostest is the bestest, man. I mean, that guy, you gotta, you're going to have to be able to take some punishment to beat him. And cardio can be king in this sport, certainly. Um, but exactly. you better figure out a way to gas that tank. Uh or you're going to be in real trouble, as Ken Flo would say. Ngannou is certainly yep. a problem. Exactly. I mean, Ray, do you think he's the betting favorite when he fights Stipe? Uh, that's an interesting point. I mean, I think, you know, there's going to be so much hype after what he did to Overeem, and he was the betting favorite in that fight, right? So I think uh, he'll be a slight favorite, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's Stipe's responsibility to dictate where that fight takes place, and it is a five-round fight. And I would say, you know, the mentality going in there would be survive first and then win. You know, you're going to have to right, right. weather a couple of storms and then see where this guy's cardio is at in like the third and fourth round because we really haven't seen that. So that's, a, you know, that's something we don't know. And I think that's something I'd be willing to, you know, try to test, man. Let's take this guy into deep waters. And again, to do that, you're going to have to really fight a smart fight. Yeah, the only way you want to box with Ngannou is if you're mounted on top of him, Ray. That, that's pretty much it, I think. Exactly. But, exactly. <laughs> you yeah, know, he's a scary, scary dude. Scary, man. man. Now, what do you think of the main event, uh, Holloway against Aldo? Is Aldo done here? Or you know, is just Holloway that, that good? You know what it is? Look, Holloway's definitely that good. But uh, Aldo, what I liked about that fight, he did come out swinging. He did go back to the leg kicks. Would have liked to have seen a little more, but... You know, there comes a point in your career where there's always going to be that one guy you're just not going to get past. And that, for, for Aldo right now, is, is Holloway, you know. But there's still a lot of guys he could beat. But, you know, can he get to that point for Holloway? I, I, I doubt it because the other guy's young. He's only going to get better. He seems like he's so relaxed in there. He's having a good time. He throws a lot of volume. Uh, yeah, he's not. He's never beaten him for, at this point because I think we got a glimpse at a – at an Aldo that was in training camp that kind of had, you know, glimpses of the old Aldo. He was throwing, man. He, yeah. he went down swinging. I think it was, uh, you know, great to see, you know, him, you know, give it his all. And uh, But it's just never going to be enough for this kid. Alvarez and Gaethje, was it everything you hoped for? Everything you expected? I got to tell you, man, <laughs> I'm blown away by Eddie Alvarez, man. That is, oh. that guy, that's some old school South Philly toughness, yeah. man. <laughs> The guy fought like a man possessed. I mean, look, the theme of the night for me was uh, the ability to, you know, withstand punishment and stick to your game plan or never, never, never quit. I mean, 
Paul Felder in a choke. I thought that fight was over. I thought Medeiros was done. He came back. Yeah. I thought Alvarez's leg was going to give out. He withstood. I mean, never, never quit. These are some tough-minded dudes, man. I mean, I didn't think Alvarez was going to do it based on the Poirier fight and the uh, McGregor fight, but holy shit, I don't know where he summoned that up from, but that was a that was a te- a testament to just fortitude and toughness and guts and heart. I mean, he it's not like he got out of there unscathed. He took a beating. And he right. kept going, man. And he broke down a guy that was tough and probably exposed him a little bit. You know, I think I think I heard you say the body shots, I think, what a difference in that fight. I yeah. mean, you yeah. can't just cover up and stand there. Like I don't I don't know what kind of game plan that is to just see how much punishment you could take from a big puncher like Alvarez, right. who even if he's at the tail end of his career, they say power is the last thing to go. And yep. I'll tell you what, man, he's still got a punch. And he, still had his was, chin as well. Still had his chin. He ate some huge yeah, which, shots. Which, Kenny, I got to tell you, I am really surprised Me about too. Yeah. I, I am in shock. I don't know. I just think, man, I, there's got to be a, a mindset component to this that, you know, there, you can never put your, you, you know, you, you can never grasp. I mean, this guy, like, again, I viewed him as a man possessed. He was, he refused to lose that fight. He, no doubt. Yeah. he could have been out of that fight five times, but just the mental toughness. I mean, that's an old school Eddie Alvarez fight, man. That guy is balls to the wall, tough. And again, just those old South Philly fighters, man, were built on toughness. And that's what he displayed to me, man. He Absolutely. just... I, I he surprised me, but I can't say enough about what I saw. I just I think it's a lesson for all young fighters, man. That Eddie Alvarez was willing to die in there. That's what I saw. He was yeah. willing to die. Mm-hmm. And you know what, man? This is a this is a sport where you're either all in or all out. And yeah. Eddie Alvarez was all in that night. And you know I think the fans you know got rewarded for that, man. And he's. Yeah, I don't know. And, and I mean, did it I, against at this an, stage of the game. Yeah, I'm sorry. And did it against another guy who's willing to die in the cage as well, Ex- engaging, exactly. who was bigger than I mean, him. A, yeah, another guy who's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it definitely wasn't a defensive clinic, but no. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it was an exciting fight. You're right. You had two guys that, I, I don't know, man. It was, that was, that was a fight. That was a great fight, man. Gotti, Gotti Ward, Castillo, Corrales. It was that yeah. level. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, just when you think that guy's leg, he was going to buckle. I had a held it. I mean, and we've all been kicked in the leg. That sucks. Yeah. And he got through that mental pain, man. I give it up to the guy. Really, really, really fascinated by what I saw. I think you summed it up beautifully because as I was walking out of the arena, I was sort of thinking, man, these are like superhumans. I just can't relate to this type of mental or physical toughness. And you mentioned Yancey Medeiros and Alex Cowboy Oliveira. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that fight later. My front runner now for fight of the year. And Gaethje, I mean, you're willing to die. I mean, he, he is more than willing to get knocked out, be twitching on the canvas. No problem for Justin Gaethje. So congrats to all these guys. I know some no, of you listen to this show. Yeah, I mean, John, just you know, awesome. You could, see, you could see even by, you know, Gaethje's text, man. He's just a – look, I, I grew to like that guy watching him on the show. He seems like a good guy. He's got a great camp. You know, the uh, by, uh, boxing coach, I can't think of his Trevor name. Trevor Whitman, but, yeah. You know, Whitman's a good yeah. dude. You know what I mean? They got a great thing now with Rose and – they got good people over there. So I think, you know, Gaethje's literally going to grow a lot from this fight. Mm-hmm. He's going to make some adjustments. Because I tell you, the one thing you can't teach is toughness. And that's what both of those guys have. But then when you can yeah. put technique and a little little smartness in there, a little, you know, 
fight IQ with that, man, that's he's going to be a tough dude. He's going to grow tremendously. And just the Texas and Alvarez, man, win or lose, right. it hurts. And, you know, just a good dude. You could see he's a great guy. And, again, I think this show really highlighted he is a thinker. You know, he's yeah. going to start applying his coaching skills to his fighting skills. And I think when they come together, man, that guy's going to be he's, – he's on his way, man. He's a – He's got a great career ahead of him, but he's got to, he's got to, you know, use a little smarts now and not, you know, we right. know he's tough. He's got nothing to right. prove. We, that toughness is there. Now start fighting with your head and you'll be a different guy. And I have to say for the record, you know, I don't like New Yorkers, but I put that Chris Weidman performance against Kelvin Gastelum in that same just refuse to lose mental and physical toughness category. Really, that was as inspiring as any UFC win I've seen this year as well. So uh, a nod to you guys and certainly to Chris for that. So, hey, big weekend for you. Um, before we get to Aljo and Marlon Marais, so Sarah Longo's Marab Davalishvili making his UFC debut this weekend. So he's coming off a 15-second knockout of the previously undefeated Raytheon Stotts, and I know people think highly of him. It was in defense of his Ring of Combat Bantamweight title, and it wasn't your typical spinning backfist. It was almost like he was standing in front of him when he threw it and landed it, but good enough to get him in the UFC, Ray. He's won six in a row faces Frankie signs on Saturday. What are your expectations for Marab Davalishvili? Yeah, I think Marab is, look, first off, he's he is from the Republic of Georgia. He's got a work ethic second to none, uh, tough as nails. He, he's going to, he's fighting. He's going to go in there. Uh, he's going to be similar to, you know, he's not, he's not quitting. He's not going anywhere. He's coming guns blazing. He's a great kid. When you meet him, you're going to love him. He's very appreciative. He does what you tell him to do, and he's just I, – I can't say enough about this kid. He's just a, a great kid. He's in a foreign country, and uh, he's, uh, he's a, hopefully achieves the American dream, man. I, I expect uh, a great fight out of him, and I think he's going to be very entertaining, and uh, it's, it's an exciting week, man. It really is. Everybody's pumped. All right, and quickly on Aljo, it'll be his third fight this year, trying to go 3-0 and to close out his 2017 your expectations for the fight between Sterling and Marais, and I will tell you that right now it is Marlon Marais minus 185, Aljamain Sterling plus 150. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, this is a big fight for Aljo. I, I think the difference in this fight is I'm glad he had that fight with... Um, Hennon. Hennon Burrell. I mean, I think that was a big fight for uh, Aljo. He knows he could be in there with world-class, you know, guys who were a champion before that, you know, had great reputations and did a lot of things in the UFC. So I think that's the difference in the fight. He's going in there with the right mentality. He's got tools that we haven't seen yet that I hope come out in this fight, and I think it's going to be a great fight. Uh, a lot of respect for Marlon and his camp, obviously, and we know Marlon's a tough dude, but uh, I expect that to be a great fight also, man. All right, well, I wish you guys all the best this weekend. We actually went ahead and booked Matt the Terror Sarah for next Monday. So yes. hopefully, we're next celebrating, Monday. Uh, hopefully we're celebrating a couple big wins for, for Team yeah. Sarah Longo yeah. there in Fresno. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see, got, you see. guys got guts. You're bringing him on. Are you kidding me? Uh, want, maybe maybe no, no video. No I don't know. I want no mercy. Kenny, I'm uh, relying yeah. on I'll you. do my best. I'll do my the best. The guy's publicly attacked you. I mean, you got to go after this guy. Nah, nah, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you have that. And uh, we got a couple of good things happening the following week. I'll fill you in on next week. But nice. great, great, great weekend of fights. A little man. teaser. A little what? Uh, you're giving us a little teaser for next week. I uh -huh. like it. Yeah, possibly uh, 
Maybe some reality TV news coming oh, up. Oh, I saw a little light in his eyes. This is good. I like this. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to hear it. Good stuff. Hey, thanks, buddy. Have a good week, all right? All right, I'll see you guys thanks, in Ray. Fresno, right? Uh, you will not see us in Fresno. Oh, wow. Yeah, I get the week off, my man. Uh, done four of the last five. Paul Felder will be there for you. Though. I'll, I'll be in studio. We'll be, I'll be watching. Very Can't good, wait. man. All right, great, good luck, man. Brother. I will see. I'll talk to you next Monday. All right, there he is, the Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. And, you know, going reality TV, I mean, you got to think we helped a little bit, no? I mean, giving yeah. him this platform with the, the tens of he thousands of listeners every week. He owes us. We want a percentage. I'm telling you, you know, just wet, give it wet, to Ken. speak a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just give one percent to the flow. You can make it out to like Florian Corp or some shit like that. Um, but keep an eye on this Marab Davalishvili. You know they're not giving him any picnic. Obviously in his UFC debut, fighting Frankie Signs, who has actually lost three in a row now. That included a distance fight with Uriah Faber back in 2015, and and a big fight between Aljo and Marlon Moraes that we're going to get to in the main event challenge. But I just got to get a few more things from you on UFC 218 flow. I. Uh, I made you watch Yancey Medeiros, Alex Oliveira, and delayed the start of the show today so you could see it. Because yes. at least for me, it has moved ahead, albeit slightly, of Michael Johnson and Justin Gaethje for the UFC Fight of the Year in 2017. These guys, man, and, and Ray hit on some of the points that I was going to, but it's just incredible when you have two fighters who have this type of momentum and drive and will and heart and skill uh, this is this is what makes this sport the greatest in the world. When, when I used to say, when boxing is at its best, nothing can touch it. When MMA is at its best, it's the greatest sport in the world. Oh, there's no doubt about that, man. Uh, that must have been a lot of a lot of fun to to call. And both you and Rogan uh, certainly showed that passion throughout that fight, which was just phenomenal. And I agree with you. Right now, that's my front runner for fight of the year. Um, these are two guys that wasted no time going at it. You see what their intention was. Uh, first, uh, to to win the fight by finish, and number two, uh, to not leave out, leave that, leave that cage um, without getting a win, and and they were prepared to die in that cage. I mean, just uh, amazing stuff back and forth. This is as good as a fight as you're going to get, especially when you get two guys that were um, fighting from opposite stances for the most part. Medeiros uh, fighting from that southpaw stance, kept landing that left hand, and of course it was Cowboy landing that right hand. They were staying in that center line, and they kept getting hit back and forth. They, they made their adjustments, and then it was Cowboy landing some big elbows from the clinch, some nice takedowns back and forth, some brutal ground and pound, nice stuff on the mat. Um, just a back-and-forth war, man. Uh, what a fight. And it went into the third round uh, somehow. I, I don't know how. Um, and in the end, it was Medeiros getting the win. But uh, this is one of those fights, and for Cowboy as well, but especially for Yancey Medeiros, where everyone will remember this fight. Everyone will remember where yep. they were, when they watched it. And a lot of people now have Medeiros as one of their favorite fighters in the world. No doubt about that. Yeah, no, the Hawaiian Yancey Medeiros with a whole lot of momentum right now. And that's what Alex Cowboy Oliveira had going in. I mean, you remember what he did to Ryan LaFlair on Long Island when LaFlair was a ranked welterweight. Cowboy was in the rankings, now suffers his first loss, I think, at 70, at least in some time. Maybe that Cerrone main event was actually a welterweight fight. But it was, yeah. Cowboy's been on a tear, and, and now Yancey Medeiros makes it three straight wins here. All of them finishes, gets a bonus, fight of the year. He's going to be ranked next week, and uh, – they got it working in Hawaii, man. Uh, I know you got to be tough to win a fight it's like a that camp. as Yancey is, but uh, great camp, great kid, and uh, couldn't be happier for 
Yancey uh, Medeiros, also a big win for Felice Herrick, split decision over Courtney Casey. I did think she won rounds two and three. Uh, nice moment for Amanda Cooper on fight pass in front of her Michigan faithful. A um, couple other things that I have for you here on UFC 218. Actually, one fighter uh, complained to me that his opponent was greasing. How often is that going on? I mean, is that still a factor, I guess, uh, that... I guess. Well, here's the thing. Here's where how they can get away with it. First of all, they're always checked, right? You're not supposed to have any Vaseline on your body. You can't even have hair gel, uh, I, I think. <laughs> um, so when you come out, the only person so you wouldn't fight. Exactly. I wouldn't, wouldn't fight anymore. Fight. Uh, if you ah. saw my hair before, it was not a priority. It looked really bad. But uh -huh. um, you know, now now you see the only person who's supposed to put Vaseline on your body is when you'd right come out, you'd just come out to the cage uh, where the cut men come out and put Vaseline on your body because some guys would take it, put it on their shoulders, put it on their body. The other thing that they'll do is sometimes they'll take a shower, they'll put oil on their body, they'll dry up, and then once they start sweating, you know, you'll become very, very slippery. So uh, who, who was the person who... Who was accused I, of it? I, I, I can't say, my man. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right, all right. Well, uh, listen, um, people have done it. Uh, not a cool thing to do. Not a good thing. Again, it's on the level of, uh, of a PED, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Not cool. So, uh, yeah, I wish I could say, but you I can't. You greased before, you greased before the main event. Oh, I am a greasy bastard right now, kid. Bastard spelled B-A-S-T-I-D in Boston, by the way. Um, Dominic Reyes. 2-0 and with two first-round finishes. I'm telling you, he is going to be ranked at some point in 2018. I think he might have a very bright future in the light heavyweight division. We've had him on our show. Yep. He was a great football player. He's a Good great dude. fighter. He's got Joe, Joe Daddy Stevenson in his corner. Uh, he can grapple. He can strike. He's physical. Great frame for the division. He cuts down to 206. He's going to be a real problem. Uh, and then I also just had a note here. So Justin Willis uh, beats Alan Crowder, right? And then he fires his mouthpiece into the audience. And we've seen fighters do this a lot. And I don't even understand it, right? So yeah. Rogan on the broadcast, he's like, dude, these guys fire in their mouthpieces into the crowd. I think Joe said something like, dude, I'd be, I'd be ducking that thing like it was an AIDS bomb or yeah. something. It's disgusting. Um, I mean, basically, no thank you. Basically, a fighter is spitting on people in the crowd. Yeah, very do they gross. think do they think someone wants their mouth guard? Hey, hey, people will want this. There's my mouth guard. It's yeah. weird. Not no, yeah, it is weird. Uh by the yeah. way, can I have can I have one of your mouth guards though from your career actually? Ah, dude. No way. What are you going to do? With it? Are you going to put it in your mouth? Are you going to put it in your mouth so you won't grind your teeth at night or what? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe I'll have you sign it and I'll uh give it away to one of these fine listeners. No. Nobody um wants. All right, so last thing, just because we didn't hit on it all that often, uh, what's going on in the world of Conor McGregor? What can you tell me about Conor? Um, is is the Holloway fight more likely than the Ferguson one? I mean, what's the Malinaji business that Jeez. Holloway's bringing up at the press conference? Uh, what what do you think is next for Conor McGregor, and what are you hearing, kid? I know you got your ear to, ear to the pavement, kid. Yeah, listen, I, I hope it's not a Malinaji fight. Uh, boxing or, or MMA, I don't want to see that fight. I also hope it's not a boxing fight against anybody. You know, Delahoy is trying to get him out of it. Stop, stop, stop. Oh. That's not what you do, dude. Get back to what you do best. That's mixed martial arts. What I'm hearing is a potential fight uh, in March uh, against Tony okay. Ferguson. That, that's Ooh. what I'm hearing. Um, you know, yeah, that that would be absolute fire. Um, obviously, you know, um, a lot needs to get done, but that that's what I'm hearing is he's preparing uh, for a fight in March. I think Conor McGregor is definitely enjoying his time, uh, just kind of relaxing. He's got uh, quite a bit of money in the bank, and a lot of people saying you know the whole thing with with uh, you know the situation of him maybe slapping up some guy in a club or whatever, and that he was in uh, big time trouble. 
I assure you that Conor McGregor, of all people, is very well protected, uh, and yeah. no one's going to touch that guy. Yeah. So uh, I think I think he's I think he's just fine. For people who are saying, "Oh, he better get out of the country," and he's going to do, yeah. he might get out of the country, but it's not because him or his family are in danger. I assure right. you, uh, he's very well protected, and it will be just fine. And if Ken Flo can afford a security detail walking from Meraki BJJ <laughs> to his Porsche, then you can be yes. sure that Conor McGregor. It's more. Can it's more than a detail. He's got more than yes. a detail, and yes. I think, uh, yeah, he'll be good. Yeah. Um, all right, we did not have time to talk about the Ultimate Fighter finale, and we need to, to get to the Fresno show. So I just will quickly congratulate the the new inaugural UFC Women's Flyweight Champion, Nico Montano. She gets the better of Roxanne Modafferi on the scorecards there. Uh, congrats to the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley. Big win over Terion Ware. I like the Ware kid, too, and I thought he showed you a lot of skill and a lot of heart in defeat there. Big win for Gerald Mershart with the body shot. Ryan Brutal. James with a comeback against Andrew Sanchez. Just absolutely absurd. And last but certainly not least, how about Brett Johns with a 30-second calf slicer to get the jiu-jitsu credential Joe Soto out of there? Kenny, I don't know if you saw it. I did. Um, but I, that that cannot be fun. That's a quick tap out of Soto. Uh, Rogan was saying that doesn't feel good. I can't imagine it does. It, it was a cool submission, man. Uh, in some cases, when you go for a calf slicer, your own knee can be in danger. Uh, we see some people injure their own knee. Uh, but either way, yeah, it, it's like your knee is about to explode. That's the kind of feeling. It's a lot of pain in the back of your calf, uh, almost like you're, it's a consistent leg kick. But your knee just feels like it's just going to blow apart and uh, not, not a fun submission to be in. Uh, and Joe Soto is very, very sharp on the ground. He's a guy who's known for right. his submissions and known for his leg submissions particularly. The fact that Johns uh, hit that uh, very slick uh, calf slicer w was was very impressive. All right, big weekend with the back-to-back -back shows for the MMA leader. And we spin it forward now because this stretch of 10 live events in nine weeks' time continues in Fresno, California. Octagon in Fresno for the first time. And Flo is jonesing to make some picks. So uh, let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, first we're going to recap these standings here. Team Florian led Team Anik 91-85 going into UFC 218. Flo went head-to-head -head with listener Matty O'Neill. If you recall, they each made nine selections for UFC 218. And you guys finished tied at seven. You were perfect on the FS1 prelims, Flo, uh, despite sending out a couple losers on Jose Aldo and Justin Gaethje. So Team Florian leads at 98-92 heading into UFC Fresno and joining us to make picks for this weekend's card. UFC commentator, father, identical twin, John Anik is with us. John, how are you? You know, I'm fucking great today, but I'm not fucking around anymore. It's December, it's crunch time, and all we really need are some opposite plays right now um, to try to win this thing. So Team Anik, going from here on out, it'll either be me, but if I'm calling fights, that's not going to happen. Right. So. It's going to be Vegas handicappers the rest of the month with respect to our lovely listener, Sar. Oh, I, you know what? I promised a listener he could come on for Winnipeg, so we're going to have to figure that out. Um, but I'm picking second, and we're going opposite place today. I'm making picks <laughs> oh, for the shit. first time since the 209 bet in it. March of 2016. So with that said, main card bout, Marlon Marais, Aljamain Sterling Marais stepping in here for Ronnie Yaya, 
and not all that far removed can flow from the split decision win over John Dodson. That was 23 days yep. ago in Norfolk, Virginia. That, of course, followed a split decision loss in his UFC debut to Rafael Assuncao in Brazil in June, all of which followed this 13-fight winning streak that got Marais to the UFC. So here he is, minus 185, as we said. Aljamain Sterling coming back at plus 150. Fourth fight of the year for Sterling. Uh, last four fights, though, have gone the distance. Split decision losses to Brian Caraway and Rafael Asuncao, followed by dominant unanimous decision nods over Augusto Mendez and Henan Burrell. So Ken Flo, Sterling, Marais, which way you go? Well, listen, I think Sterling definitely has the advantage on the ground. I think if Sterling's able to take this to the to the ground and, and do it consistently, uh, Sterling will win this fight and, and quite possibly by finish on, on the mat with the submission. However, um, Marais, I, I think, is just a phenomenal striker who, who's very well-versed uh, and knowledgeable when it comes to distance control, keeping guys on the outside and throwing variety without giving up uh, takedowns. Um, and if you do get Marais down to the mat, he's very good at getting back to his feet as well. So, um, however, I, I'm a little nervous about this quick turnaround. It can come back to to bite him a, a, a right. little bit, especially against a tough fighter like a Sterling. This is a tough one for me. Um, I'm a Sterling fan, but I'm going to go with Marais here. I, I I do believe that this is a very special fighter who will one day be a champion in that division. All right, and I will take Aljamain Sterling as the underdog for the opposite pick there. Pretty simple. Co-main event, J Jason Knight. He had won four straight before being humbled there by Hicardo. What am I calling him Hicardo for? I mean, Jesus. Brain is just steamed out. Lamas. Ricardo Lamas. And it was inside a round in July, by the way, as Mississippi Mean goes down. But he returns here against the American Kickboxing Academy rep, Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. He's lost two of his last three. Knight minus 265, Mowgli plus 205, flow who will it be? Well, you're in South Florida, which is like little Brazil. That's why you call them Hicardo. You know, that's I, right. I, I guess can understand so. that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, in Brazil, he's Hicardo. Well, listen, I, I think that uh, <laughs> I, I think that Jason Knight um, learned a lot from that fight against Lamas. I don't know a whole lot uh, about Benitez. Uh, I think he's tough. I think he's a, a pretty good striker. Um, I think if Knight finds a way to take this to the mat, I, I think it's going to be all Knight. I think Knight wins this by submission. Yeah, Mississippi Mean is no joke, and I think it's a bad time to be fighting him given the way that Lamas fight went down. I can tell you when it comes to Mowgli Benitez, he's had some some extenuating circumstances before some of his UFC losses that haven't been ideal. Um, you can take that for whatever it's worth. I will tell you that Javier Mendez told me before the Andre Feely fight that the hardest kicker he has ever held pads for is not Luke Rockhold, it's not Cain Velasquez, it's Gabriel Benitez. Wow. So, We'll see if he can get that power kicking game going this weekend. I'm not sure. What I am sure of is that my fat ass is trailing in the standings. So we're taking Gabriel Benitez uh, at plus 205. Cool. All right, main event, Cub Swanson, Brian Ortega. My favorite nickname in the game is T-City. Close here according to Vegas flow. Swanson minus 120, T-City minus 110. First UFC main event for Brian Ortega. He's also still undefeated. Four straight third round finishes for Brian Ortega you guys are going to probably say that a million times on TV this weekend he's the first man in UFC history to accomplish that and it speaks to his ability to, to rally in the case of his last win against Hanato Moicano and it just speaks to I think his finishing ability as a whole and his his desire uh, in pursuit of those finishes He's also beat good competition, Kenny. Tiago Tavares, Diego Brandao, Clay Guida, one of your victims, and, of course, most recently, Renato uh, Moicano. So this is a Brazilian killer here. Three of those last four wins against Brazil. 
Now he draws the roster staple killer cup, Swanson. Ten UFC wins for Swanson against just three losses to Ricardo Lamas, Frankie Edgar, and Max Holloway. Swanson's won four straight, Kenny. Might have even gotten that opportunity against Max Holloway last weekend if Jose Aldo wasn't game. Uh, and maybe he gets another crack at Max if he can win here with some style points against T-City. He is slightly favored to do so. Your thoughts on this main event in Fresno and ultimately who will get it done? And this is another one, uh, a lot like uh, Gaethje and Alvarez. Both these guys uh, really only know how to fight one way, um, and, and that's exciting. And I think uh, this is going to be a phenomenal main event in Fresno. Um, or Ortega is a huge featherweight man. He really also has really improved his boxing. Uh, did a good job of getting his jab going in his last fight. However, he, he kind of um, starts late a lot uh, uh, during his fights. I don't know if he can do that here against Cub Swanson. He does have the advantage of this being a five-round fight, and I think the longer this fight goes, the, it probably favors Ortega. Uh, if the yep. fight goes to the mat, uh, Ortega's going to have a huge advantage here. Ortega is just very sharp with his submissions. I, I could see him submitting Cub Swanson. However, I, I think Cub right now is fighting with a kind of uh, passion and motivation that we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, I, I think he's become sharper as a fighter. He's been cross-training uh, a lot with TJ Dillashaw, um, and, and you see it. I, I think that uh, he, he looks a lot better. I think we're going to see some new weapons in his arsenal. I think he's been fighting smarter uh, as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Cub Swanson here in this one. Um, I, I hate going against my buddy Ortega, uh, but Cub Swanson, I, I think, is, is just a little bit better here at this point in their careers. All right, and for some extra credit, you got a round or a method for it. Right, me, that's right. Let's go with third round, Cub Swanson. Round TKO. three. TKO. Third round, TKO. Ah, I hate Cub doing Swanson this. Yeah. is the pick, and because I, like guys, I need to give out an opposite play, it will be Brian Ortega, and we will go with a submission in the fourth round. Oh! So we'll see how it happen. goes. Thanks, And son. this main event challenge could be over. Uh, if I don't pick up some points this weekend. But notice how I didn't completely put the integrity of this competition in question by making you pick a bunch of these prelims in Fresno that are yes. not high-profile fights. I had you pick nine fights for UFC 218 because we were loaded and there were a lot of big fights, right? Yes. You pick Tisha Torres and, and, and uh, excuse me, Courtney Casey and Felice Herrig was the first prelim on FS1, but they're both in the top 11. So right. that's why you gave a pit, right? So, I 100%. mean, you know, it's not. All right. So, uh, again, we're trying to sort of abide by the uh, the loose rules of this main event challenge. All I right. Like that it. is going to do it uh, for this week. Thank you to our guests, Henry Cejudo and Ray Longo. Thank you to everybody at Fox Digital. Thank you to our intern, Avery, as well, who I'm told actually was the one who put that Longo video intro together. So um, got to pass that praise from Wasoric to Avery there on the way out next week. As we mentioned, former UFC welterweight champion, all-around good egg, Matt Sarah, friend of the program, going to be with us. He'll probably be live from uh, from a studio, so it might even sound really good, too. We're going to keep that Francis Ngannou talk going. You can be damn sure next week as well. See if Stipe is heard from at all between now and next Monday. We'll also recap Fresno and, of course, look ahead to the Winnipeg show on Big Fox and what is an absolutely killer main event between Robbie Lawler and Rafael Dos Anjos. So with that, for the flow, who is off to May Rocky BJJ, get on the mats, people. Get the geese out. <laughs> Last time I wore my gi was for Hallow fucking Ween. <laughs> um, but Ken Flo's on TV this weekend. I am thankfully going to sit home uh, with some recreational drugs and just chill out, I think, is what we're going to do this weekend. All right, with that for Ken Flo, I'm John uh, Ann. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube, FoxSports.com as well. Until next Monday, we love you. Yo, later. The John Annick and Kenny Florian Podcast. 
Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.